The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about so many important privacy issues and the NSA spying and all that stuff. And we have a fabulous guest And this particular guest, I met him maybe 12, 14 years ago. He was doing a speaking engagement, and so was I at the same place. So we got to meet then, and I haven't really seen him, but I've followed all of his great work that he's been doing. So let me tell you a little bit about Professor Fred Kate. Fred H. Kate is a distinguished professor and C. Ben Dutton professor of law at the Indiana University Maurer School of Law. And he is a specialist in information privacy and security law. He is managing director of the Center for Law, Ethics, and Applied Research in Health Information. And he's director of the Center for Applied Cybersecurity Research, which is a national center of academic excellence in both information assurance research and information assurance education. Fred is also a senior policy advisor to the Center for Information Policy Research at Hunton & Williams, LLP, and we've had several of their attorneys on as well. And he advises such companies as Microsoft um, and other companies, including, by the way, uh, government agencies like the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Defense, and many other companies. And he is the author of more than 150 articles and books, including Privacy in the Information Age, The Internet and the First Amendment, and Privacy in Perspective. And he's one of the founding authors, editors of the Oxford University Press Journal International Data Privacy Law. We're so thrilled to have him joining us from the Midwest. Thank you so much, Fred, for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me, Mari. It's great to be with you. Yes, and so let's talk a little bit about the NSA surveillance. I, you know, I you jumped into my mind because I was reading um, a, a newspaper article from the LA Times, and of course you were quoted, as I see you quoted many, many times, and you were talking about the NSA spying. What, if anything, have we learned from Edward Snowden? Well, you know, um, Snowden has had a lot to say, and he's given us a lot of documents, but at the end of the day, I think the only thing that's really new that we've learned from Snowden, and that is how the administration is applying the law in this area. So, um, you know, he revealed those documents that showed the Verizon order, where uh, Verizon was compelled by the government, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, to hand over all of the 
details about the calls that Americans make every day. And he also handed over those documents from the Department of Justice about how they apply the distinction that runs really throughout U.S. privacy law between U.S. persons and non-U.S. persons. And so it's not just the fact I'm a lawyer. I think this really is the most uh, uh, dramatic revelation we've gotten from him, and that is really about how uh, these laws are being applied by this administration. Yes, and so a lot of people don't really understand the FISA court, and so these these were orders from the FISA court. Am I correct? Yes, you're absolutely right. So Congress created this court. It meets in secret. It has um, regular judges as members, but they're appointed just for a, a portion of their time that they serve as judges. And they meet... Um, in Washington, in this uh, secret, secure courtroom, and they consider requests that come primarily from the Department of Justice for certain types of surveillance, usually for intelligence gathering purposes, but also post 9/11 for um, you know anti-terrorist purposes. Right, right, and it's my understanding that the that the court. Um, doesn't have like you know like two people arguing in front of them they they get the information that from the department of justice or the fbi or whomever right but there's no one on the other side arguing um that this should not be uh allowed is that correct you're exactly right so really only one um, person ever appears before the court and that's the person designated by the attorney general to represent the united states of america and do you think that there should be someone on the other side? Maybe we should have like some a, a, a national privacy office, like they do in Canada. That maybe someone would should go and be on the at least on the other side to kind of argue what concerns there might be. Is that something that you think should happen? I totally agree with that. I think that would be a great idea. the The, the problem in any situation, no matter how hard these judges work to remain uh, impartial and unbiased is, you know, when a, when a U.S. government official appears in front of you and says, um, this is critical information to the security, to the future of the United States, if nobody's there on the other side to say, wait a minute, Your Honor, you know, we've heard this claim before, and it, it may not have been true then, and there's some tough questions we should be asking, it's, it's tough for the judges to not just say, okay, you, you know, we'll give you what you've asked for. And in fact, in all but um, you know fewer than ten cases, the court had does give the government exactly what it asked for. Yeah, you know, I spoke with an ex FBI agent on the show, and one thing he did say, he said, "Well, Mari, it isn't like a rubber stamp, though. It's like sometimes the court will say, well, bring me more, bring me more information.' So, you know, there is that." that I have to, you know, at least give him that, that he said that, you know, we are often, we're not just getting it right away. They say, okay, well, bring us more information or bring us more evidence for us to really decide. But it just seems to me we're so used to our the way that our system works is that you have, you know, a defense. <laughs> you have the prosecution, you have the defense, and you, you know, you have attorneys for the uh, defendant or whatever, and we just don't have that that balance in the FISA court. Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, 
you know, our, our justice system is so based on this adversarial approach where at least two parties are represented, sometimes more than two. Right. And e- even though I, I completely agree with your, uh, with your former guest, the FBI agent, because it's certainly true. I think having to appear in front of a court builds in a lot of discipline into the process. And, right. you know, it may lead the Justice Department to not seek certain things it might otherwise ask for. But, but at the end of the day, I think it's still not as good as if somebody's there on the other side who's also been around for a while and speaks with real authority. Right. So we've seen this NSA issue and NSA surveillance coming up many, many times in other administrations as well. I remember, remember they had that, what was it, total awareness? What was that that thing that came <laughs> total up? Total information awareness. Yeah, I remember that was a big issue too. So why do we keep this, keep seeing this coming up, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, it keeps coming up, right? It, it does. And in fact, you know, it really goes back even into the 1950s. You know, the NSA was created in 1952 and mm. in 19, early 1970s. In 72, you know, the Senate held its famous church committee hearings chaired by Senator Frank Church. And, you know, Senator Church unearthed a pattern of activities that raised real questions about the NSA's um, surveillance activities on U.S. persons, on U.S. citizens and and uh, permanent lawful residents here. It seems to be a recurrent theme. Of course, since 9-11, it's, it's occurred even more frequently. And yes. you know, part of the problem seems to be we really don't have very clear law here. Yes. Um, the laws we have were, were largely written as, as early as the 1960s. They're significantly out of date in terms of technology. And, you know, what we've seen in the current fight, and again, it's, it's Snowden we have to thank for this, that we now have a, this insight into it is, you know, the court is being asked to interpret a little provision of law, Section 215, that allows the FBI to seize um, any tangible thing that might be part of a, an anti-terrorism investigation. And it's uh, the administration's using that authority, that one provision of law, to say, you know, any tangible thing means all phone records. Mm. And you know, it's pretty clear Congress didn't intend that. At, at the time the provision was enacted, even in 2005 when it was most recently amended, nobody really thought the government was going to collect all phone records with this. Yeah. And the provision actually talks about pursuant to a specific authorized investigation. That, that makes you think you're investigating one person or one terrorist cell or one crime and you might seek these records as part of that. So, you know, there's this natural urgency that the administration feels to be good, strong, protecting our security, and then privacy often gets sort of lost in the fight. Yeah, and you know, whatever happened to the U.S. Privacy Act, which was in the 70s, that there wasn't supposed to be any um, secret databases? (laughs) Right. Yeah, What, what about that? Is that totally obsolete even though it was you know it gave us the the information practices that that you know kind of protected our privacy at least our information privacy where is that is that totally gone or forgotten or what i don't think it's having much effect that's for sure i mean the, you know the privacy act was a, a response that really you know grew out of the early massive databases that were being used by industry and the government and yeah of course, it, it passed um, in the immediate aftermath of uh, President Nixon's, you know, forced resignation. And right, right. It, it really put in place what looked like very strong protections. But a lot of those protections have largely been turned now into kind of paperwork. Mm. So, 
the federal government publishes a lot of Privacy Act notices, but those notices are just forms. Um, you know, they're like the notices we get when we, um, you know, update our iPhone software. Um, you know, they're long, tedious notices. Nobody <laughs> reads them. And they don't have much effect on, on what the government actually can do, unfortunately. Oh, my goodness. So we're, we're, what's, what should we be doing now? I mean, if, if you had your druthers... <laughs> I'm going to well, make you the president right now, Fred Kate. <laughs> oh, dear goodness. No, that would be such a mistake. <laughs> no, really, what should we be doing? To, to, this, is, this is, I mean, it's good that this happened to bring this to the forefront. I mean, we, you know, uh, there's some real worries about how other countries are looking at us, right? Yep. I mean, right now we are not looking good. And particularly, you might remember the timing on the disclosures by Snowden. They began just before President Obama was going to sit down with the Chinese president. And everyone expected that this was going to be the meeting where um, the U.S. finally, you know, read the Chinese, the riot act about their spying activities and their cybersecurity attacks on U.S. industry. And instead, um, you know, the president really had to, you know, um, tiptoe around this issue because here's Snowden handing over document after yes. document showing that, that we're engaged in a lot of those same activities. I, I think the answer here is, as in almost all things in the political realm, you know, we need some clear guidance from Congress that reflects a sort of rational process. So sure, there's going to need to be surveillance. Um, you know, if, if, if somebody's kidnapped, if we're fighting a terrorist cell, of course, appropriate surveillance is going to be one of the really critical tools that we expect the government right, to use. Right. But we want that to be done subject to certain real limits and oversight. So what type of surveillance? Can you really get records on everybody? Or, or are we going to focus instead on people who have done something suspicious, something to warrant the government's attention? And once we have those records, what can we do with them? You know, we don't currently have any limits. Once the government collects it, it can do whatever it wants with it. And then third, who's going to watch out? You know, who's going to keep oversight of this? And maybe that's a privacy commission. Maybe that's this new Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board that um, it's taken four years to get into place, but finally, you know, they're up and running now. Yeah. Maybe that's something new that has to be created. But I think the American people are, are pretty trusting, but we like some sort of oversight to give us confidence. Absolutely. And I don't know how much power the oversight board really has. You know, I mean, it's, it's not like a commission, like right. many of the other European Union countries have that they have a privacy commission or i look to canada like their privacy commission has enforcement power it has a lot of power i just don't i don't know i don't know if this new oversight committee has that kind of power does it well i I think your skepticism is well founded it has no enforcement authority and it can only issue a subpoena with the concurrence of the attorney general Mm. so it's not really independent from the administration but In fairness, a lot of the European and even some of the Canadian privacy commissions have had trouble when it comes up against the national security apparatus. Right, right. Government versus private enterprise, yeah. Exactly. And and, and I think, you know, we're all kind of struggling with, and maybe as as is usually the case, we're doing it a little more openly in the U.S., with, you know, how do you build a structure that both recognizes the public's legitimate interest in good security but also still protect some type of privacy so that we're not just completely laid bare to whoever wants to look at us. 
Exactly. You know, I'm thinking about even with 9-11. Remember that attorney, the FBI, the woman in the FBI who had said, you know, had brought up, hey, there's there's all these guys that are getting pilot license and all they're learning to do is, is uh, you know, take off not how to land. Right. And, and I, I think there's a real danger when you collect so much information, you can't see the forest through the trees. And, and that is, a, you know, I mean, if we're talking about security, have some uh, some links. I can understand if you think that, you know, some of these people who have been suspicious and maybe the people that they're speaking with might be a conspiracy. That, to me, is reasonable suspicion. But just to just take everybody who has a Verizon account and just collect everything just seems to me that they can't even find anything when they've got too much. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more strongly. And it's it's so interesting and in many ways tragic because in the aftermath of 9-11, all the way up to the 9-11 Commission, there was a lot of focus on this inability to connect the dots. We right. couldn't connect the dots. Right. So it seems like all we've done since then is try to get more dots. <laughs> exactly. And if you couldn't manage the dots you had, what are you going to do with more of them? Yes, and so I worry that it's not just privacy versus security. It may be security versus security. But because if we spend all this money and time and effort on just sweeping up data, yeah. but we can't do anything with it, we may be compromising our security as well as our privacy. Oh, that makes so much sense to me. You know, I read a great article that you wrote back <laughs> in, uh, no, that you wrote in early July, and it was, um, it said, uh, latest NSA spying re- revelations pose four major challenges to the White House. And I'd like you to just share those challenges, because I thought they were very, very good. Well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, l- let me say, I think without question, the hardest challenge is how to deal with this issue. Yeah. This fundamental question of how do you provide the rules of the road that leave sufficient flexibility for law enforcement and national security agencies to get on with it, but provide real privacy protection, not only so we protect privacy, but so we don't waste our time just looking at any, any data that we, you know, we might be able to put our, to put our hands on. Um, I think a second challenge, which unfortunately we've really seen clearly outlined by this, is how do you discuss this? How do you address an issue which has so much classified information attached to it in a public, responsible yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. And here, I actually am, am, am very critical of the administration. Um, this isn't a Republican or Democrat issue. No, 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 it isn't, but, because we had issues like this under Bush as well. Exactly, but, you know, this administration in particular has said that honesty, openness to the American people is very important. And Oh, he talked about transparency in his absolutely, campaign. Absolutely. There is the no transparency. Yet, you know, his director of national intelligence testified before the Senate in March of this year, was given the question in advance, are we spying on the American people? Right. And he said, knowing he was getting that question, no, sir, we are not. Yes. And, and he had to backtrack. That true. Yeah, and he had to backtrack. And I, I think what you want is for the administration to be upfront about what it can be. Maybe we're classifying too much information. Mm-hmm. But I think you also want it, when it can't be honest, you want it to say, I just can't answer that question. I'm sorry. Yep. Rather than mislead the public, and in that case, mislead Congress into thinking something else. Um, and it, know, destroy, it destroys credibility, too. Then we, you know what I mean? If they say, if they, if they're almost better off, like you said, just say, you know, I really can't answer that question and, that, you know, whatever. 
then people go, oh, well, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but at least they're not lying. And then when they have to have egg on their face, then we don't trust them at all. There's no credibility. Right. And of course, that raises the third issue, which is how do you deal with your allies if you if they can't trust you either? Exactly. And it's embarrassing. I mean, you said that in here that you, one of your issues was here, the U.S. stands alone. And it, it's embarrassing. It's so hypocritical. We're telling everybody else, look at these other countries, you know, and what about our own liberty in this country? Well, and we, you know, we often forget that sort of everything in the political world is connected. And so, even if we say, as the president and other senior leaders in the U.S. have said, look, the Europeans have no right to be so upset, they do the same things, maybe they do do the same types of surveillance. But the, but the problem is, you know, we're engaged in trade talks with Europe, we're engaged in other types of conversations, and if they don't think they can trust us on this one, they're not going to trust us on the others either. And, you know, that's why I think it's important whenever we engage in an activity like secret surveillance, you want to know that somebody's thinking about that who has the whole picture in mind, not just national security, but a much broader range of interests. Exactly. Let's go a little bit to some other issues on on privacy. And we're not going to resolve this, but when I make you president, (laughs) then I know you're going to resolve it. (laughs) But you've been a critic of the current approach to regulatory privacy in the commercial sector. So that's, you know, we got this whole weird kind of I think it's kind of almost ambiguous when you think about Axiom, which is a private company, but they're providing all this data to the government. So, you know, you're not supposed to have any um, private databases or hidden uh, databases, but the government can buy these commercial databases. So how does that all work together? Well, I think the problem that we really face in in the commercial sector is that we've come so much to depend on notice and choice. So we get these privacy policies, we get these annual notices and our financial statements. We uh, go to the doctor and, you know, we're handed these 16-page uh, privacy notices under HIPAA. That and no one understands, right? Nobody <laughs> reads them. Nobody understands them. So we all just click yes. Right. So then the government can say, well, we've protected your privacy because we required you to get a notice. <laughs> and industry can say, well, look, you agreed to this. We can do anything because you said yes. Uh-huh. And I, I think it's become a real sort of house of cards. I, I mean, you might even go further and say it's sort of a tissue of lies, really, <laughs> but, because it's not privacy. It, it's the opposite of privacy. What, what most of those notices say is why your privacy is not going to be protected. And so I'm actually a huge believer in uh, the free flow of information. I, I generally think industry ought to be able to use information pretty freely, but that there should be some clear rules, and those rules should say, here's how you make the decision. Can you use it or can't you use it? And if you make the wrong decision, you're going to be liable for the harm you cause. Yeah. And let's get rid of all this notice. I, I shouldn't have to read 65 screens on my <laughs> iPhone. I should know that Apple will protect my privacy because it's in its business interest to do so, and it's required by law to do so. The problem, and, and I agree with you, I agree with you 100%. The issue that I see, though, is if, if they don't, there's no private right of action for some of these things. So, so if, you ha- if you have been wrong, and I think of something like the thing that's, that I deal with all the time, our identity theft, for example. Right. And um, let me give you a good example of, of uh, a criminal identity theft victim who lost his job and, and the, the, uh, the vendor, okay, was very negligent, okay? So, you know, we don't have the laws to really protect 
those victims in those kind of cases, because the Fair Credit Reporting Act doesn't really work when it's, the, you know, the criminal background checks. It, it just doesn't work right, even though it should. So we've got a lot of different issues where there's no transparency. So should there be laws that, that allow for private right of action against companies? And should there be transparency that people should be able to get whatever data is is stored in these profiles that these companies have? I, I would support both. In other words, I, I certainly support transparency. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not against a private right of action. My only response is that at the end of the day, I actually don't think individuals should have to spend as much time as we currently do or as we would under a private right of action guarding our own privacy when industry uses our data. In other words, I think the burden should be on industry and that the oversight should come more strongly from the government so that I shouldn't have to worry. Of course I tell my doctor things. Of course my bank knows things. I'm not living my life in secret, but it's not the collection of the data that makes me nervous. It's what are they going to do with it. Right. And I don't want to spend my life having to police everyone who has my data to say, what are you doing with it? I think that should be a matter of far more substantive law. Just like we treat other things like employee safety, we treat most consumer rights law. So when I go to buy, for example, a car or a television, I don't have to wonder, will it work? There's state laws that say if it doesn't work, the company's in trouble. And if there's a private right of action with those cases. There, there is, and, and that's why I'm not against one, because you probably yeah. need that private right of action to get companies' attention. Right, because, I mean, but, somebody but has to enforce it. And if you think about, I mean, at least for the people that I've seen that have been victimized and that, that call me is... You know, the Federal Trade Commission is not going to take an individual case. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau really doesn't have the ability or time to take care of everybody, right? So, you know, if you don't have a private right of action, then you've got these laws on the book that nobody follows. But but I think in either case, with or without the private right of action, you know, whether it's government or a, or a private citizen, I think what you would hope is after two or three of these cases the industry would clean up its act. And and that's true to some extent. I think, well, I I think definitely with the security breach laws, there's been a lot of improvement and encryption, things like that. But we don't have really the Privacy Commission, for example, that they have in Canada, where when you're a private citizen in Canada, and and I've had Ann Kavukian on my show several times, and I'm, I'm actually one of her privacy ambassadors. But, you know, when there is a call to their office, they will help an individual. They literally will help an individual. We don't have that here. Exactly. And so, for example, I would strongly support creating a a, a serious privacy commission or doing it on a state-by-state basis. And somebody like Ann Kavukian, she is effective not only because she has significant power, but because she often can just pick up the phone and say, are you serious? Are you really doing this? (laughs) You know, the next thing you're going to get is going to have the word subpoena at the top of it. And she and, also has an ombudsman, right. which is someone to try and mediate between them, and then there's far less lawsuits. Right. And I think these would be very helpful steps so that individuals don't and should not be expected to have to spend a huge amount of time guarding against the misuse of their data. If we had clearer rules to start with, you know, clearer norms, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, and how do you make that decision, it would be a lot easier, I think, to make the system work better and burden us less. Exactly. So why don't you propose that? (laughs) Well, I do propose it. And in fact, one thing which I've been very active working on is 
trying to move our laws, not just in this country, but other countries, yeah. away from these burdensome notices and checkboxes and forms you have to sign, and instead to focus much more on a risk calculation around the use of the data. Yeah. And so if you use my sensitive data and, for example, you don't encrypt it, you're in trouble right from the start. Yeah. Well, um, see, like they have in, in Canada, they have a, a whole privacy law, right? I mean, they have everything yeah. is we don't have that. We have all this patchwork stuff, you know, a little privacy here, a little HIPAA here, a little glam, glam, uh, glam bleach right. here, you know, uh, it's it's it, we just need to have a comprehensive law that then we wouldn't need all these notices like you say. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. And again, it shouldn't matter where your data is located, and it shouldn't matter in what sector. So I should be able to know that my data is under control, is not going to be leaked, is not going to be breached, and is not going to be used irresponsibly. Yeah, and and it's not going to be used in a way that I did not authorize or intend for it to happen. Right. See, the only point I would add there is sometimes there are, I think, particularly in this world of big data and yeah. big data analysis, there are yeah. going to be new and valuable uses that people really like. Yes, yes. And particularly for research and, and anti-fraud and, uh, you know, health research and things like this. Yeah. And this is also why I'd like a commission, because rather than say, well, you have to go back and ask 50 million people, do you consent to this? Right. You instead say, look, you can go to the commission, make your case, and if they buy it, go ahead and do what you want to do. Right, right. Because they've considered everything and then this like a comprehensive way exactly. of looking at it. Yeah. Exactly. Well, we are out of time. Oh, Fred, I could talk to you forever. It is you're just so filled with such great information. We will have to have you back again. So, please uh give your website and uh and we'll have to go. Well, I will. I've enjoyed it very much and that's CACR at iu.iu.edu. And thank you so much and you have a great day and keep up all the great work you're doing. Thanks very much, Mari. Okay, bye-bye, Fred. You've been, you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org. And on that, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. for Privacy Piracy. Visit our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.